Hey guys, my name is Pastor Ron. So glad that you tuned in to the podcast of Allentown Fellowship Church. Each week we're going to endeavor just to walk through the Bible book by book and then give you some truths that you can apply to your life. So welcome to the AFC podcast. Trust and pray that God's word today will be a blessing to you. All right, good morning or good afternoon, AFC. If you guys are tuning in here to Facebook Live. Uh, we didn't have service today, obviously, uh, in person with uh, more snow. So um, it's still snowing down here in Quakertown. I think we have about four inches already and not sure what the uh, when that's supposed to stop. But it is winter, right? So we need to stop complaining. All right. So good to have you guys. Uh, we're going to continue in Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 32. Mark 10. Verses 32 to 45 this morning, or this afternoon. I'm so used to saying this morning. Um, so let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump in and, and look at these verses. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, God, as we look at the word together, that you would use it to convict our hearts. Uh, Father, again, help us to see Christ more clearly, more accurately, uh, and then to, to know uh, the things that we need to do in our lives to realign our thinking with yours. Thank you for those who are watching, those who may watch in the future, and I pray, God, that you would just minister your truth to them. In Christ's name, amen. So we talked about uh, Jesus Christ is headed to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem and constantly trying to get the disciples to understand what it is, his purpose is. Why is he here? Remember, the disciples are dealing with a false reality in their mind. They, they have in their mind that Jesus Christ is coming to set up an earthly kingdom, take Rome off the throne during their time, and is going to take care of all the injustice, restore uh, the Jewish people to their prominent place. And they thought all that was going to happen during their lifetime. And Jesus has constantly been trying to tell them, not now. There, there is a greater work that I've come to do, and that is to be an atonement for sin through his dying on a cross. And right up to his betrayal, they were not understanding this. And here we're going to see another very uh, vivid example of their lack of understanding of who Jesus is and why he came. So as they're headed to Jerusalem, starting in verse 32, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. Now, wh why were they amazed? Well, they were probably perplexed or amazed that Jesus Christ is headed to Jerusalem to where he had told them, he is going to ultimately die. But he's just headed there with this confidence because that's why he came. So again, humanly speaking, they're trying to make sense of this. Like he is literally walking to the place where he knows he's going to die. But he's not moved by that. Because again, what he's going to try to get them to understand, this is why I came. They have a whole different purpose in their mind which we're going to see here in a minute. But here Jesus is not um, deterred from his purpose. So they're amazed. 
um, that, that, that he has this steadfastness about himself to go into Jerusalem where he's going to ultimately die. But then notice it says in verse 32, and those who follow were afraid. Well, not only are they amazed, but they're also afraid, right? What's going on with, with the fear? Well, remember, if, if he's going into Jerusalem to die, he's not going in to dethrone the king. And so there's probably going to be some type of conflict that's going to resolve. And these disciples aren't sure what it is that they're about to get involved in. And so they're afraid of what's going to happen. Of course, we know the end of the story, right? We're going to see that they're all going to scatter once Jesus is, is uh, actually arrested. They're all going to scatter because they're scared for their own lives. But even here, before that, you see that they're afraid. Now, remember uh, back in Mark 8, Mark 8, uh, verse 31 and 32. Notice what Jesus said prior to this. Mark 8, 31 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priest and the scribes and be killed and three days rise again. 32. And he said this plainly. And remember that was where then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, right? We covered that before when we were in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 9, verse 31 and 32. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Jesus has all this talk about dying, while in their mind, they have all this talk among themselves about ruling and reigning, being in command, being in power with Jesus. Totally two different mindsets here. And Jesus has constantly been trying to get them to understand his purpose. So Jesus is headed to his death. They're following. They're amazed, but they're also afraid of what type of trouble are they going to encounter. Now notice, as we go back to Mark 10, and taking the 12 again, again, this is the third time, He's going to have this instruction. He began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, now we're in verse 33, Mark 10, 33. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, same thing he told them back in Mark 8, and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And here's, here's a new part that's added and deliver him over to the Gentiles. So here we see not only the Jews are going to portray and condemn, but then they're going to hand him over to the Gentiles because the Jews could not do the death penalty without the permission of Rome. So now he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles, and ultimately, look what happens in 34. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him, and kill him. Jesus giving very specific details to the crucifixion. And then after three days, he will rise. It's amazing. Third time, he's telling them, I am coming, 
to lay down my life. I am coming and I'm going to die. They just had a hard time accepting this. Remember, they would have understood the Jewish prophecies about a Messiah that is going to come and ultimately rule and reign. They think it's now. So they're wrestling with, we know Jesus is more than a man. We know uh, he's been sent by God. Uh, we know that he can do these miracles. So in their mind, they're, they're wrestling with, okay, perhaps he is the Messiah, but I don't understand why he's not going to rule and reign right now. Like, we, we don't want a dying Messiah. We want a Messiah that's going to make all things new. And particularly get Rome off of our backs and put us into power. And again, we know, we talk about future things, that that day is coming. We today, in 2021, we're waiting for a day when Christ is going to return and rule and reign. They thought it was in their day. And this is what they're perplexed about. They're not understanding. But Jesus, you're here right now. I, I don't get it. You're here. Like, just set it up now. What were they missing? Well, I, I think is what a lot of people miss today. Setting up the kingdom where Jesus will rule and reign forever, there is something fundamentally wrong with mankind that has to happen before that, and that's our relationship with the Holy God. They're, they're jumping past their sin problem, and they want to jump into eternity. This everlasting kingdom where Jesus will rule and reign forever and ever. But they're, they're missing something. Like, you will not experience that with Christ until your sins are taken care of. And Jesus is trying to get them to understand, I need to lay down my life to be a sacrifice, a ransom for you people. You want the end result of that, eternal glory, ruling and reigning, but your sins need to be taken care of. And this is what they're struggling with. And I think a lot of times today, when you talk about Christianity, the people, everybody wants to talk about the benefit of knowing God, being spiritual, being religious, all of those things. But, but nobody really wants to look themselves in the mirror and say, but there's a big problem with me. Like the S word is forbidden, right? I'm a sinner. And there's a holy God and I live in the presence of this holy God, and my sin not has to be dealt with, but it will be dealt with. Either I'm going to pay for my sin, or I'm going to receive the ransom that Jesus gave, which was his own life. And, and even today, we have to be careful how we talk to people about Christianity, because my fear is we're making Christianity sound like adding God to your life so things will get better, Right or becoming religious, or it's all about loving one another, and and it's like okay, those are aspects of Christianity, but in order to become a Christian, I need my sin problem taken care of, and so again, it's amazing that you know we're looking at a text that you know two thousand years ago where they even got it wrong about what is Christianity. It's not about just ruling and reigning with Christ; it's getting the sin problem taken care of. Not a popular message. Nevertheless, it's the Word of God. Let's see what happens. So, he tells them, I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be crucified in verse 34. But I love the fact that at the end of 34, he says, and after three days he will rise. Remember, that was one of the key things that Jesus was saying throughout his ministry. 
you will know that I am who I say I am because I will rise from the dead. Again, one of the things I would say the main thing that separates Christianity from every other world religion. Its founder, if you will, Christ himself, got up out of a grave, authenticating who he was, that he was indeed God in the flesh. Look at 35. And this shows you where these guys are and missing it. You talk about missing the boat. Uh, these guys are way, they're on another planet. In light of what Jesus just said for the third time, look at what James and John say in 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. What? Like, <laughs> when I first read this, I mean, if I, I mean, the first thought that came to my mind is like, what are these guys smoking? It's like, these guys, like, are you that uncued in to, to what Jesus has been trying to teach you? We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Okay. 36. And he said to them, now, again, look at the grace of Jesus. Jesus just finished telling them, I am headed to Jerusalem to be brutally murdered. And your response to me is, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. A perfect opportunity for Jesus to give them a smackdown. Perfect. It would have been totally legitimate right here. But he doesn't do that. In 36, Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Wow. Patience. Compassion. And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. What? These two guys are asking for a place of highest honor. That phrase on the right side represents a place of the highest honor. The king, the most highest place of honor besides the king himself is at the right hand and the second highest is at the left. We want those positions. These guys are so self-absorbed about their own glory, about their own power, and they're missing the Lamb of God is right here in front of them, what he's about to do on the cross. It's, it's almost like, yeah, whatever. We don't know about all that. We just want this to benefit us. Whatever it is you're about to do, okay, um, can we sit at the right hand and at the left hand of you? And again, perfect opportunity. Jesus could have gave them a spiritual smackdown. He could have, but, but he, he, again, as we see with Jesus, he's walking along these disciples. Remember, these are the ones he's chosen, and he's constantly, patiently teaching them, having patience with them. And he said to them, what do you want me to do? And they said, grant to us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. Jesus referring to the suffering, the death. You want that honor? Let me ask you a question. Are you able to bear the wrath of God? 
Jesus and using that phrase, drink the cup. It's an Old Testament phrase that, that, that refers to the judgment, the punishment, the wrath of God. It's about to be poured out on Jesus. And he says, you two men want a position of honor, of prominence. Are you able to absorb, to drink the cup? Are you able to deal with the wrath of God? And of course, this is totally out of their uh, vision of what's going on here. They're so focused on their own self-glory, the cross and salvation and the ransom and all of that. It's not even in their radar. And then he says, or are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? I don't believe he's not referring to the John the Baptist baptizing him, but being immersed in God's suffering, in God's suffering at the hands of God judging sin. I don't think, and I don't know that humanly you and I will ever fully understand that. I think we so cavalierly think we understand what happened on the cross. I just, I just don't know that we can ever fully grasp. We say, yeah, I know Jesus died on a cross for me. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Can you even begin to understand what it means to have the holy God pour out his wrath on us? I, I, I don't think we can grasp that. Because of sin... And you get in your mind some of the most heinous sins that you can think of. That all of that sin, the punishment for that, the justice that that sin demands, God pours out his wrath on Jesus Christ. See, this was so much more than just a physical death. The wages of sin is death, absolutely. But what, what's going on on that cross when, when, when God says, I pour out my wrath on you, my judgment on you to pay for the sins of all man? It, it's, it's past my human understanding. But this is exactly what the cross is about. This is exactly what salvation is about. This is exactly what the love of God is about. You know, people talk about God's love. Well, I think it's just all about love. All that stuff about Jesus Christ is just all about love. You don't understand that love is rooted in what happened on the cross. You can't, you can't separate the two. I just want to love God and all this stuff about trusting in Christ. That's No, no, you, you can't separate the two. God's love is demonstrated in that he sent Christ to die and be a payment for sin. So many times we, we, we try to extract Jesus Christ out of Christianity. You don't have Christianity without the cross. And again, it's not a popular message because the cross represents judgment. But notice, he puts the challenge to them. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And notice, 
Again, shows you where they are. Verse 39. And they said to him, we are able. <laughs> okay. You're able. All right. Again, look at, look at the patience of Christ. Because he doesn't slam them. But notice what he says. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. What is Jesus saying to them? Do they fully understand and get the drinking of the cup that Christ is about to go through? The baptism, the suffering? No, they don't. But Jesus does, looking ahead, says, you know what? You are going to suffer. Because we know eventually they are going to get it. Right? They are going to get it. When the resurrection takes place, they're finally going to get it. And then Peter and James, and they're going to begin to proclaim Christ. And it's going to be something that's going to cost them their lives. So Jesus says, you know what? You're right. You, you are going to suffer. This is what Jesus is saying. But again, even this went over their head. But he does acknowledge and he does foretell that they are going to suffer for his name's sake. Verse 40. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Very interesting there. Again, verse 40, it kind of shows the distinction of the roles even within the Trinity. Here we see Jesus clearly saying, look, I'm, I'm doing this purpose, but who's going to be where, what the rewards are, that's not for me to determine. That's something my Father is going to determine. And he doesn't elaborate much more on this issue of the future ruling and reigning in the kingdom. Look at what he says in 41. And when the ten heard it, so now the other ten are listening to this, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now, now I wonder why. Do you think they became indignant like, James and John, how dare you? Jesus is about to go to a cross and be the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And you're asking about your position of power? I personally don't think that's why they were indignant or mad at James and John for asking. I think they were mad that James and John were asking for two positions of prominence that they wanted. I believe that's what's going on here. They were mad because they wanted those positions. Because we know earlier what? That Jesus, for the third time, is trying to tell them what his purpose is, and none of them get it. None of them get it. So why all of a sudden are you upset that they're asking, James and John are asking for these two prominent positions? I believe it's because the ten wanted those prominent positions. Because again, none of them are grasping what Jesus is saying. So notice, they're indignant, they're upset with James and John for even asking this. Let's go on. Jesus now is going to take an opportunity to teach on servanthood and what it means to be a true leader, what it means to really be great. Because again, these disciples are enamored with, I want to be great, I want to be great, I want to be a great, I want to rule with you, God. Jesus, I want to be great. They're missing the boat. So he takes an opportunity and teaches them in verse 42. And Jesus called to him and said to them, 
You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. In other words, like you guys see the way that those who are ruling over the Gentiles, you see the way that they, they rule with great tyranny and force and uncompassionately. I mean, they just kind of dominate them. You guys see this, right? But notice what he says in verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. You're looking at these kings who thought they were gods back in the ancient Near East and demanded people to worship them and put the fear of God in people. This is what you boys think it's all about? This is the kind of power that you want? That's not what I'm about. Jesus says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great, here it is, among you must be your servant. Wow. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave. Do you see Jesus breaking down this whole mindset of power, prestige, authority that these men wanted? He's redefining what it means to be a great leader. He's redefining what it means in God's eyes, who God looks at as being great. It's the one who what? Is a servant or minister. It's one who takes the position of a slave. What is Jesus trying to get them to understand? He's trying to get them to realize again who he is. Because look at what 45 says. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see what Jesus Christ is doing here? He's taking an opportunity where they are looking for self-promotion in order to have power and prestige. He's taking that as an opportunity to say, that's the way they rule out in the world. That's the way the Gentiles are, 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 are ruling. And even the Jewish people are ruling over the Gentiles, right? With, with this, this fierceness and self-glory. He says, don't you realize I'm the son of man, which is a phrase for I'm God in the flesh. And I didn't even come for people to bow and serve me. But right now I'm coming to serve you. How dare you? How dare you have this mindset of we desire for you to give us whatever we want. We want positions of power. I'm God in the flesh, you bozos. Not that he said that. But I'm God in the flesh. And I'm about to lay down my life as a slave. Are you better than me? See, here's where you see the rebuke coming out to these disciples. Remember he said that the servant is not greater than the master. Remember at the last supper, he's going to do what? He's going to wash their feet. Again, demonstrating what? I've come to serve. I've come to serve. Now listen, please understand. This is, and here's, here's where people will do this. 
People today will take this passage and say, see, what Jesus is most concerned about is that we serve one another, that we love one another. Okay, while there are aspects of that, love one another, give your brother a cup of cold water, yes, don't miss the context. This is in the context of, I am going to give my life as a ransom for many. So many times when it comes to people talking about Christianity, they want to extract what Christ did on the cross as if that's not what the main issue is. So they want to take all the niceties of Christianity apart from the bloody cross because the bloody cross points to your sin. The bloody cross points to the fact that I got a sin problem. So we want to take all these principles of how to serve, how to love, how to do leadership and miss the cross. Please don't do that. Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. How? How did he come to serve? See, this, this is not a text on we should just serve one another. Here's how. To give his life as a ransom for many. So many times there are these distorted views of who Jesus is and why he came. Somebody said it this way one time, and I, I forget who it was, but Jesus did not die on a cross to make bad people good. He died on a cross to make spiritually dead people alive. Why? Because our greatest need, the greatest service that Christ has done for humanity is to go in obedience to a cross and absorb the wrath of God so you don't have to. And you men are worried about having positions of prominence? Wow. See, when, when you compare it to who he is and what he came to do, it's almost like these men should have tucked their tails and hung their heads and walked away. They would get it eventually, but right now they're not getting it. Again, verse 45, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we get ready to wrap up, 1 Corinthians 6, listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Paul, now reflecting on the life and work of Christ. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought, there it is, with a price. So glorify God in your body. What did Jesus say in our text? I came as a what? I came as a ransom. A ransom for many. You think about when somebody pays a ransom, something is released, right? Somebody kidnaps somebody and says, give me $2 million. Give me a ransom and I'll release this. Well, you and I were captive, dead in our sins. Our sins had us locked down. And the wages of that sin, the Bible says, is going to be death, separation from a holy God. 
Jesus says, I paid the ransom to free you from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of sin. I paid that ransom. Now you're free. That's what Romans is all about, right? For you have been made alive. You have been set free from your sin, from the penalty of of our sin. Wait a minute, but I still sin. Yes, you do still sin. So do I. But the penalty of that sin is no longer death for you who are trusting in Christ because Christ paid it. It's a beautiful picture of what Christ has done. Galatians 2.20 says this, Paul, again, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me, here it is, and gave himself for me. He was a ransom. Think about it. Why the death of Jesus Christ? Why the death of Christ? He was a ransom. And a holy God demands the penalty for sin, which is death. Again, many want the goal to simply be about treating everybody with love. That's all that matters. No, that's not all that matters. Because you can treat people with love. You can snow blow the neighbor's yard. You can do all those things. But if you die in your sins, if you never trust in the ransom, if you never trust in Christ who paid for your sins, you will be separated from God. And again, in our culture now, because it's politically correct, we don't talk about sin. We don't talk, no, just talk about love. Just talk about love. But you can't talk about love without talking about sin. You can't talk about Christianity without talking about the cross of Christ. You see, in Christ's mission, it wasn't just about feeding people. It wasn't just about healing people. He started his earthly ministry doing those miracles, authenticating who he was. But what was the main goal of his ministry? I'm headed to a cross. I've come into the world to do my father's will, to lay down my life, to pay the wrath of God, to pay for your sins. Don't miss it. Don't miss it, guys. We can't look past the need for reconciliation to a holy God and just look for the benefits of knowing or walking with God. No, it's about reconciliation first. The disciples wanted the glamour of ruling with King Jesus, but they didn't realize they needed their sins to be taken care of first. Again, I'm gonna say it because it's so important. Christianity without the cross is not Christianity. And we in our day today I'm hearing so much more of this cultural Christianity that is void of the cross, is void of a bloody death that had to take place, is void of a ransom being paid for our sins. And you know why? Because we don't think we're sinners. (laughs) We think we're innately good. But therein is the problem. So think about this as we close. All of us kind of struggle with this innate desire, I believe, to some degree for significance. The the disciples wanted this sense of significance. Do this for us, Lord. Do this for us. And for them, it was 
we want to be in power. We, we want to be first and second in command, right? All of us, to some degree, struggle with some kind of significance, whether it's through your career or your standing or whatever, right? We, we, we want to feel like we matter. Well, here's the problem. <laughs> if you want significance, it starts with knowing your creator. Christ said, I came to be a ransom. Here's the significance. The fact that I'm in relationship with my creator through the blood of Christ, through the forgiveness of Christ. Man, if that doesn't bring your life significance, nothing will. Because anything I do apart from having that, it's insignificant. Jesus said it this way, what will it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Don't try to find your significance in something outward. Find it first in knowing Christ. Then when I do the outward things and I live the things of this world that are all temporary, by the way, my significance, my fulfillment comes that I know Christ and that I'll be with him throughout eternity. So my perspective in living now is totally different. So that if my significance in this world does not hit the level that I want, I don't hit the career path that I want, I don't make the money that I want, whatever it is, it's okay. It's okay because that's not where I find my significance. It goes back to what Paul said. We've been bought with a price. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live through faith in the Son of God. Here it is. Here's where my significance is. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's where I find my significance. Anything else is nothing but a substitute. God, I pray for all of us, we who know you as Christ, as our Lord and Savior, God, remind us, remind us of this love. Help us not to so easily forget what happened on that cross. For our sins, your wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. And God, for those who may be watching who don't know Christ, who have never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. God, open up their eyes, help them to clearly see Christ dying on a cross is what the mission was all about, for Christ to be a ransom for their sins. And Father, they can have that life by trusting in Christ for that forgiveness of sins and Lord, finding significance in Him. So, Lord, I pray that you would work these truths in all of our hearts. May you bring them back to our remembrance oftentimes. And we thank you again for the opportunity to be in the Word today. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the AFC Podcast. I hope and pray today's Word has challenged you to align your thinking with God's Word. If you would like to come visit us for one of our services, we would love to have you. We are located at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We are in what is called the Daybreak Room, which is housed in the Dubs Community Center. 457 West Allen Street, Allentown, PA. Our services start at 1 p.m. So if you're looking for a church that sticks to the Word of God, come on out and join us. We'd love to see you. Till next time, God bless.